following message is presented by Erie Evangelical Free Church in Erie, Illinois. We are a church that exists for the good of our community and are proud to share the gospel of Jesus Christ as we seek to know him and make him known. Many of you have heard Thomas Edison's quote. He was once asked by a newspaper reporter about his failure to create he didn't create the light bulb, he created a sustainable filament to go in the light bulb. And he was asked, well, what, what about all of these failures and all of these, these things that you've done? And, and he's reportedly, he, had, he was reported to have said, I didn't fail. I just found 2,000 ways not to make a light bulb. I only needed one way to make it work. Now, here's the thing. Thomas Edison never said that. That's kind of an amalgamation of like a whole newspaper article boiled down to this. He says that idea, but he never says this quote. And in fact, if you read this quote, you find it online this afternoon. Some say, well, I didn't find 100 ways not to make. Some say, I didn't find 600 ways. I didn't find 700 ways. I didn't find 2,000. Not the point, okay? He never actually said this exactly, but he did make this point. And the point that he was making was simply this. What looked like defeat to those around him didn't defeat him. When he felt knocked down, when he felt like what he encountered was a failure, he didn't stay down. He rose and he relaunched himself into the mission at hand. Now, we all get knocked down sometimes, don't we? We all get knocked down by so many things in life, we can't even begin to start the list. And getting knocked down in life is one thing. It's tough to get back up when a business fails, when a relationship fails, when we feel a little lost in what we're supposed to do next. That's one thing. But it's a whole nother thing to feel like we've been knocked down in our faith, isn't it? Most of us have experienced that moment, that season, where our faith almost feels defeated. When our hearts cry out, God, where are you? Why have you left me here? Or maybe it's not that we feel God has left. Maybe we just feel defeated by our own brokenness, our own failures in our lives. Let me tell you today, that is normal. To feel that brokenness in your faith is normal. If you doubt that, read the Psalms and read the Psalms of David. David constantly felt that brokenness, that lostness. But we also know, right, that in those times, in those seasons, in those moments, that God's goodness, God's faithfulness, and God's calling in our lives remains constant. Even though we feel broken, God remains constant. And so we know that we too, sooner or later, must stand up and get back to the work that God has put us to in our lives. But the question then is, how, how do we rise and relaunch into kingdom purpose when we feel like we have been defeated? Luke chapter 24 gives us a picture of how this happens. In verses 13 through 35, we're gonna see this happen through two men in particular. 
And through this story, we're going to see three truths about coming back to our calling and our mission, to relaunching when we've encountered roadblocks, when we feel like we've been knocked down, when we feel like we've been defeated. And the first truth, the first step in this rising and relaunching is this. If we're going to rise, if we're going to relaunch, we grapple with our faith. We grapple with faith. Luke chapter 24, verse 13 through 16. says, now that same day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together, they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them. But they were prevented from recognizing him. We grapple with faith. It says on the same day, on the same day of what? This is on the same day of the resurrection. You can go back and read verses one through 12 and see what this day is all about. On this Sunday, the day of the resurrection, two men. In verse 18, we're gonna find out that one of the men's, one of the men's name is Cleopas. See that in verse 18? The other one is never mentioned by name. We have no idea who he is. But these two men walk along the road to Emmaus, the seven miles from Jerusalem, discussing the weekend's events. And these are men, right? It says, uh, it says that the next day, uh, on that same day, two of them, meaning two who were with the disciples in Jerusalem when the women came to tell them about the resurrection. These two men are walking, talking about everything they'd seen, everything they'd heard, and then what the women had said. And what we're going to see in their conversation is that their conversation reveals that they have doubts. Verse 14 says what? They were discussing everything that had taken place. And then in verse 15 says, and while they were discussing and arguing, they didn't have the answers. They didn't truly understand what had just happened. And then in verse 16, Jesus shows up walking with them. We don't know where Jesus came from. He just shows up and he's walking with his guys who are engaged in this conversation, this argument, this debate about everything that had gone on. And Jesus walks with them, but they can't see him. Now, the question in your head should be this. Why can't they recognize him? Why can't they recognize him? The answer is very simple. Spiritual blindness. It's spiritual blindness that keeps them from recognizing Jesus. Spiritual blindness, their doubts about what they had had heard from the women, their fear of what they had seen over the weekend, their unmet hopes for who Jesus was supposed to be. All of this stuff creates a spiritual blindness in them that keeps them from seeing Jesus for who he is. We've seen the spiritual blindness before in, in the gospels, in, in Mark chapter six, verse five and six, when Jesus is, is back in Nazareth, it says Jesus was not able to do a miracle in Nazareth, except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he was amazed at their unbelief, their spiritual blindness. They're, dis, they're, they're being distracted by their doubts, their fears, 
their misunderstandings of who Jesus is, kept them from recognizing who Jesus was and what he could do. And here again, spiritual blindness keeps these two men from recognizing who Jesus is and what Jesus can do. And so they are left to wrestle with the tension between the apparent defeat that they had seen with their eyes on Friday and the victorious salvation that they knew was coming through Jesus in their hearts. I've said many times before, and some of you have heard me say this multiple times, my entire seminary education, if I only got one thing out of it, it would be that I had one professor who told me one time, the Christian life is one lived in tension. That was worth my entire seminary seminary education right there. The reality that the Christian life is one lived in tension. Why? because it is the worship of a God who is beyond me. God will constantly do things that I will not understand. You and I are incapable of fully grasping who God is and what God does. We are human beings. We can't do that. And what's more, when you find find Christian doctrines that have become heresy, that have been taken out of who God is and what God does and says, no, 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 this is better. It's always because we have tried to relieve the tension that God has meant for us to remember that he is God and we are not, right? We will never have all of the answers. Sorry to break it to you. If you had hoped, well, if I just follow Jesus long enough, I'll get all the answers and I'll know everything and that'll make things easier. You will not. You and I will never have all the answers. God tells us this in Isaiah chapter 40 in verse 18. He says, with whom will you compare God? What likeness will you set up for a comparison with him? Right, and then he, he goes into talking about the idols that the people have made and, and put before God and said, well, these idols, we can understand them, so we'll follow them. In verse 22, God continues, he says, God is enthroned above the circle of the earth. Its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. Its inhabitants are you and me, right? We're like grasshoppers. Its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a thin cloth and spreads them out like a tent to live in. God says, this whole creation, everything about who I am, this is a tent for you to live in. You're not gonna understand it. You're not gonna see it. You're not gonna know everything. So you live with me, you trust me. That's gonna create a tension in our lives. Because we will never have all the answers, then that means, good news here, okay? That means that you will never be completely comfortable and you will never be completely certain in this life. Happy Sunday morning. You'll never have the answer, so you will never be completely comfortable and you'll never be completely certain. Now, some people hear that and they find that completely and utterly defeating, but it is not. It is not defeating in any way, shape, or form because we're not called to be completely comfortable with God's truth. We're not called to be certain that we have all the intellectual answers. We're called to live a life of what? Faith. We're called to live a life of faith. 
in Hebrews chapter 12, verse two. The author of Hebrews says, we're to keep our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Okay, real quick, what's it say about Jesus there? He is the pioneer. Some of your translations say author and perfecter of our faith. Now, once again, if we take this out of context, you can look at it and go, well, my faith is supposed to be perfect like Jesus, right? No, that's not what perfecter means. What the author of Hebrews is saying here is Jesus is the author. He's the one who built the avenue of faith that brings us to salvation. And he is the perfecter. He is the first one to walk it, the only one to walk it perfectly to make that way for us. He doesn't say, and then you'll never have any questions because you have a perfect faith. No, it says Jesus has made the way and opened the door for you to walk in faith, not having all of the answers, not always being 100% comfortable with what he says. For some of you, this should be a huge weight off your shoulders today. Because for some of you, you've been living your lives trying to go, well, I gotta have all the answers. And when I have all the answers, then everything will be good. This allows you to take that weight off your shoulders, that unrealistic expectation that you can be, that you will be perfect. Because I'm still yet to meet a person who's perfect. I've met a lot of incredible followers of Jesus Christ who are amazing, godly people who I hope I can be like someday and they are far from perfect. You'll never be perfect. So allow yourself to wrestle with your faith. Allow yourself to ask good questions. Allow yourself to seek biblical answers. But at the end of the day, everything comes back to this simple trust in Jesus Christ. Yes, Lord, I don't have all the answers. Yes, I don't know it all, but I trust Jesus. That's faith. I trust that he can handle my questions, my fears, my doubts. And I trust that he will complete my faith. So when was the last time You sat down and allowed yourself to wrestle with your faith. To have that question. To wonder, okay, God, I don't get this. And here's what I think should happen. And you're not doing it. I don't understand it and I don't like it. You know, that's okay to say. Again, read the Psalms of David. But like David, we always come back to, okay, God, I don't get it, I don't understand it, and I don't like it, but you are God, I am not, and I trust you. We grapple with our faith. We grapple with our faith, however, again, however, this conversation continues in Luke 24 to show us that after we grapple with our faith, we let truth satiate our doubt. Let truth satisfy our doubt. Verses 17 through 27, we continue It says, then he, he is Jesus, asked them, what is this dispute that you're having with each other as you are walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. The one named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened here in these days? What things, he asked them. I love, can I just tell you how much I love Jesus' response there? What things? Tell me. What things, he asked them. So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, powerful in action and speech before God and all the people. 
and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early to the tomb and when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. He said to them, how foolish and slow you are to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. We let truth satisfy our doubt. Through these verses, Jesus is discussing these recent events with these two men. And verse 17 and 18, you get Jesus going, hey, what's, what's going on, guys? What, what are you up to? And Cleopas, right, is sad. It says they stop. They're walking, they're arguing. Jesus is like, what's going on? And they are stopped in their tracks. And they look at Jesus like, how, how do you not know what's going on? Where have you been? Do you live under a rock somewhere? And Jesus, as if he didn't know, well, what things? Let's hear it. What do you think has happened? So they walk through what they'd seen and they get to the end and what's Jesus' response? How foolish are you? Jesus' response is, how do you not get this, guys? You've heard me teach. You saw what I did. And yet you still don't believe? Come on. And so then he goes and he says, let me teach you. Let me show you the way. And, I, and, and what does he do? How does he teach them? Does he go, let me tell you what really happened. No, he goes where? To scripture. He interprets, again, some of your translations may say, he expounded on the scriptures. He starts with scripture and he lets that speak. He goes, go back to the prophets. Go back to the law. Look at all of this stuff that was said about this Jesus that you were following that you guys said you trusted in, that you guys said you believed, but now aren't quite sure because what he said he was gonna do, he did. Somehow that makes you not trust him. He says, look at all of this. And Jesus points out everything God had said and done. Jesus doesn't step in and dispute the events of the weekend. He simply says, you guys missed this. Why? because you have the wrong lens through which you're viewing these events. He says, let me give you the right lens to see everything that happens and everything that was done. That lens is the truth of God's word that makes all of this make sense. Do you remember several years ago, there, was a, there were two, two pictures that came up online. One was of a pair of shoes and one was of a dress. And if you looked at them, 
depending on who you were, you would see like the pair of shoes was either gray and green or it was pink and white. Anybody remember when this thing came out? And, and if you looked at it, you saw it as one of these and people would get into fierce debates about what color this picture was, right? And for me, every time I looked at it, I saw gray and green. Every single time. You could tell me it's actually pink and white and never saw pink and white, always saw gray and green. But it all had to do with something, something about the way that each of us are, are uniquely wired in our, our brains and our eyes and how they connect, that we would see these different shadows and the different way that this picture was laid out, that we would see different colors. But it can't be true that it was both gray and green and pink and white. Would we agree on that? It was one thing. See, the thing is, even our, our eyes can lie to us. Your eyes can and will lie to you. You and I can be wrong about every single thing we think and do in our lives. Even the stuff you see that you're like, nope, I, I see it right now. You can be wrong about. Observations, logic, human reason, they're all limited because they are constrained by what you and I can see, experience, touch, feel, know in this life through our broken human bodies. Teachings, lessons, these things will only ever be unshakable and completely satisfying when they are true. And truth is not built upon what you see or what I see. True means it is according to God's word. That's the only way you ever know something is 100% true. The only certainty you will ever have in your life is when you look at scripture and say, this is exactly what God says. In 2 Peter 1, verse 3, Peter says that God's divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his glory and his goodness, right? The knowledge of God is the truth of God's word. That gives us everything we need. Once again, that doesn't mean you'll have all of the answers for everything you go through in life but it means everything you need is provided by God, which means everything you need to know about truth, about reality, everything you need to satisfy your doubt is given by God through his word. And that presents a unique challenge to you and me. Because as you know, you won't always like what God says. Quick show of hands, who loves everything God says? Don't do it. Because you won't like everything God says. I don't like everything God says. There's sometimes I see God say things. I'm like, God, I don't, I don't like that. That doesn't sound fair to me. That doesn't seem right to me. God, why don't you just work according to what I want and what I think is best? Because that would make me a lot happier. Amen? Hey, maybe it's just me. I'm okay. But when confronted with our doubts, with those things that we go, God, I don't really like this. I don't want it to be this way. I wish your word said something different. You and I then have two options. Because when we have that doubt, we're gonna feed that doubt with one of two things. You're gonna feed it with desire. Or you're gonna feed it with truth. 
Every single time you run into something that you don't like that God says, you're gonna feed it with desire or you're gonna feed it with truth. To feed it with desire says, hey, I'm not so sure about this thing that God says, so how do I feel about it? What do I think about it? What makes the most sense to me? And what satisfies me? Okay, that's what I'm gonna choose to believe now. That'll make you feel good for like two minutes. But it will always leave you miserable, lost, and standing on shaky ground. So you can feed your doubt with desire. You can make God's word make sense to you. You can massage it. You can twist it. You can make it say whatever you want it to say. Or you feed it with truth. What does God say? And how do I need to change according to what God has said? What is it that I have wrong that makes this not feel right, not feel good, not feel acceptable? And if we're going to feed our doubt with truth, how do we do that? Well, we go to scripture, right? It's the Sunday school answer. You read your Bible. It's the most basic answer you'll ever get. Something's going on in your, in your life. You need help. You need, read your Bible. Well, that's too easy. Yeah. So why don't we do it more? We come to God's word. We seek out wise counsel of the people God has put in our lives. We engage in godly community to help confront us in our sin to guide us back to truth. We rely on the conviction of the Holy Spirit and we preach to ourselves daily the gospel of Jesus Christ. That constant daily reminder that you need and that I need to remember that God is God and we are not. And because he is God, he is the one who created the heavens and the earth. He is the one who sets the moral standard. He is the one who declares, this is good, this is right, this is true. It's not me, it's not you, it is God and God alone. And as the one who sets that standard, he gave us an opportunity to walk with him and follow that. And we rejected him, we turned away, we chose sin and selfishness over following him. And so sin was brought into this world and destroyed the lives of every single one of us when left to ourselves. And you read the Old Testament and you see how that sin destroys and divides and ruins lives time and time and time again until just the right time when Jesus Christ enters into humanity, born of a virgin in Bethlehem so that he can live that perfect life that you and I fail to live, so that he could die of the death that you and I deserve to die, so that he could rise from the grave, leaving an empty tomb behind him, so that he could ascend to the right hand of the throne of the father where he sits as our high priest and our advocate so that we will not be judged by our best thoughts, our best ideas, what we think is right, what we think is good, what we think is true, how well we have measured up, but we will be judged by the perfection of Jesus Christ. We come back to that every single moment of every single day. And the time, the one day you forget about that, I guarantee you will slip into feeding your doubt with your desire. That truth of God's word 
It's not always going to be comfortable for our flesh, but it will always be reassuring to our soul. So we ask ourselves a hard question today. What am I feeding the doubts in my life? When I struggle, when that battle comes, what do I feed my doubt? Do I feed it the desires of my flesh? Do I feed it my human thought? Do I feed it truth? Do I feed it God's word? A wrestling with faith is soothed by the truth of God's word, by the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that victory over sin and death that delivers us once and for all. And so when we let truth satisfy our doubt, then we watch faith invigorate our mission. In the end of this passage, we see faith invigorate our mission. Verse 28 through 35 of Luke 24. It says, they came near the village where they were going. And he, he again is Jesus, he gave the impression that he was going farther. But they urged him, stay with us because it's almost evening and now the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. It was as he reclined at the table with them that he took the bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, but he had disappeared from their sight. They said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? That very hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem. They found the 11 and those with, those with them gathered together who said the Lord has truly been raised and has appeared to Simon. Then they began to describe what had happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of bread. We watch faith invigorate our mission. Right here at the, the end of this story, the three men reach Emmaus, the destination to which they were walking. And the men encouraged Jesus to join them for dinner. After a little back and forth, Jesus says, okay, I'll, I'll come to dinner. Verse 30 says, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. And this is what opened their eyes. Why is this what opened their eyes? Because we see it's exactly what happened if you go back just a couple chapters to Luke 22 at the Last Supper. Verse 19, it says, and Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them. These men were with Jesus probably with Jesus around this same time. They've seen this before. And now they see it again and they're like, yes, you are Jesus. At this, their eyes are opened, right? Note, note the fact here that their eyes were opened is passive. You get that they didn't put one and one together to get two. Their eyes are opened. Jesus now allows them to see. And so they run back to Jerusalem. Remember, seven, little seven-mile jog at the end of a walk. They've walked seven miles to get to Emmaus, and now they're going to run seven miles back to Jerusalem to share this news. 
to share that this is all true. Everything we'd heard, remember last week when the women came to tell the story of Jesus' resurrection, what did it say that the disciples and the people who were with him thought of what the women said? Nonsense. They said, what the women said sounded like nonsense to us. And now these guys are running going, that nonsense is not nonsense. It's true, it happened, it's real. Jesus is alive. They realize that they've seen the resurrected Jesus and with this knowledge, their faith is strengthened and they are back on their mission to declare the gospel. And they start by declaring it to the other 11 disciples. And by the way, if you follow Luke's writing, you remember that Luke, the book of Luke is the first half of Luke's writing. The second half is the book of Acts. Those are two halves of really one letter. So Luke says, these guys figure it out and they go and they start proclaiming the gospel to the disciples. And then they and the disciples go out and declare the gospel to the world. Their mission is relaunched. These followers of Jesus would probably, at least at some point in their life, now face all kinds of backlash for their faith. They would probably suffer because of what they believed. They may even be put to death for their faith. And yet, it is a faith that invigorates their mission and sends them out. They say, that's fine. This is not about my health, wealth, and prosperity. This is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter five, verse five through six, Paul says, we eagerly await through the spirit by faith, the hope of righteousness. The hope of righteousness is Jesus. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What matters is faith working through love. Faith working through love. Why is it the true faith invigorates our mission? Because while faith, not works, saves us, delivering us to the living hope of Jesus Christ, that faith delivers us to a purpose of going out with relentless love, the same relentless love with which Christ has loved us. It is our faith that puts our fears, our doubts, and our questions on hold, right? It's not gonna give us all the answers. It's not gonna make them all go away. But it says these are inconsequential in the face of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And so faith is not this intellectual assent of I know this, I know this, I can prove this, that's good, that's not, okay, I have faith. No, faith is always in action, True faith leads to the invigoration of the mission. And it's our faith in Jesus that gives us the confidence to continue to get back up and walk forward no matter what has come against us. In spite of whatever opposition the enemy may bring, we go with mission, with purpose, with a calling. Not because it's gonna make me feel better. Not because it's about me 
but because it's all about Jesus. If I truly trust who he is, if I truly believe he rose, if I truly believe he has called me to himself, then I truly believe that he has called me to take his love, his grace, and his mercy to the world around me. If faith doesn't invigorate our mission, I'm not sure it's faith. It might be some good academic knowledge. It might be a decent logical answer, but I'm not sure it's faith. Do we see how faith is the only enduring force behind our mission in life, our purpose, our calling? Listen, life will knock us down sometimes. Doubt will knock you down. Fear will knock you down. Disappointment, frustration, impatience, anger, bitterness, resentment, all of these things, you know this, these things will knock you down. And like the followers of Jesus on that first Easter weekend, you will have moments, you will have times, you will have seasons where you might even question the reality of that of which you were once so sure. And that can be a scary proposition to think about, but there is a great joy to be found in the midst of that trial because it's in the midst of those trials that you find out what you truly believe. It's in the midst of those trials that we discover, do I really trust Jesus? Do I really trust everything I know about him or not? Some of you have been through these trials. Some of you have experienced the life and death nature of the need for faith in Jesus or you will lose everything. And you know that this is true. It is in those trials that we find out what we truly believe. And yes, in those moments, you will grapple with faith, wrestling with what you truly believe. But from there, you get to bathe yourself in truth, allowing the fullness of the glory of God's word to satiate and satisfy your doubt in a way that nothing in this world ever could. And finally, you get to stand up with the strength of the Holy Spirit, driving you forward to fulfill your calling as an ambassador of Jesus Christ and as a missionary to the world outside your front door. God shows us how great our strength is in him when we get knocked down and when we rise up, not by our own power, but by the power of the certainty and victory of Jesus' resurrection and nothing else. By this, we show the world the glory of God's love, God's grace, and God's mercy at work. Church family, may we remember the strength that we have in our Savior through the perfect life, sacrificial death, victorious resurrection, and complete deliverance from every sin and every trial. That victory that is offered through the body and the blood of Jesus Christ and through Jesus Christ alone. And with that, may we stand, may we rise, may we relaunch the mission that God has called us to. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your love, for your grace, for your mercy. We thank you that as a good and and faithful God, you have not left us to our own devices to try to figure out how we can be good enough. But that through the body and blood of Jesus Christ, we have been made good enough, not by 
who we are, what we do, but by who he is and what he has done. And Father, we know that in this life, there are two kinds of people. There are those who are suffering and those who are going to suffer. And so we know that suffering and pain and doubt and fear and all of that is a a normal part of life. And yet we thank you And by the truth of your word and the truth of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we don't have to worry about that fear, that doubt, because we know the truth and we get to celebrate the truth and we get to grow and walk in that truth. And so, Lord, we thank you that through the trials you are molding us and shaping us, changing us, making us people who don't seek to satisfy doubt with desire, but with the truth. Lord, we love you. We thank you and we praise you. And in your great and awesome name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about Erie Evangelical Free Church or our ministries, please visit www.eriefree.com or join us in person at 1409 16th Avenue, Erie, Illinois.